Hello to everyone listening. I'm Cory. I'm the guest editor of Arts Equator, and I'm here today with Lynn Gardner, the theatre critic for The Guardian and associate editor of The Stage in the UK. She is in Singapore to conduct a theatre reviewing workshop and to give one-on-one -on -one sessions with aspiring arts reviewers here um, who would like feedback on their writing. It's really good to have you here, Lynn. Uh, welcome back to Singapore. I think you were here in 2016. Yes, I was. I was at Singapore Writers Festival with a session on theatre criticism, and I ran some writing workshops then as well. But I think this time round is quite a boot camp, isn't it? I oh think yeah, this was <laughs> quite an intensive uh, experience, as much for me as it is for the participants. So we're seeing uh, four shows and uh, people are then filing their reviews the next morning and then we're working on them in the afternoon and then they're going up on the Arts Equator side. So really quite and it's sort of a literal, really what it's like to be a working critic. Yeah, sense. I think yeah. it is, and I think it's actually quite an interesting process for many people, because uh, even if perhaps you're a regular blogger on your own site, you can often go and see a show and then maybe a couple of days or a couple of weeks, a couple of months <laughs> might elapse before you finally kind of get something up. But I think one of the things that people underestimate about professional theatre critics is certainly in London would be the amount of stuff that we see. I certainly go to the theatre five, six, seven times a week. And the relentless cycle yeah. of producing copy. And the good thing about it is, of course, that actually what it does is that the more you write, the easier it exactly. becomes to write. Yeah. But there is a pressure in doing that that I think for many more fledgling critics can become as a bit of a shock. Yeah. Uh, and, but it, and so is a useful thing to find out about. Yeah, I'm actually quite curious about, I'm always very interested in origin stories. And for yourself personally, I think you, 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 you did drama and English at Kent. And when did you actually start writing theatre reviews? Was it back then when you were a student or...? Yeah, yeah I mean, I began writing when I was a student. Um, I also directed a lot of theatre when I was a student. And I suppose I might have become a theatre director. But I didn't really, we're, we're going back a very long time. <laughs> Before, actually, there were very many women directors. And so, quite simply, I didn't know, I didn't come from the kind of background in which my family had anything to do with the arts or with theatre. I didn't know what the roots might be in to becoming a theatre director, but I did know in some ways about some of the roots into becoming maybe a journalist. And I had a programme on the university radio station and uh, I wrote for the student newspaper and I wrote some reviews. So writing reviews became a kind of slightly easier path than perhaps becoming a director. And of course you need to remember this is the days before the internet where <laughs> lots of that kind of information that you could go on the internet now and you would be able to find out about regional trainee schemes uh, or uh, you know, courses that were available. I quite simply didn't know about those. Right. What kind of family did you come from then? Kind of no, I came from a theatre-going family, yeah, which yeah. kind of always helps. And I always think that one of the things that I was really lucky about in my early theatre-going experience is, is that we went to see a huge range of work. Uh, we live near a local theatre where every week the programme changed. So one week there would be a Shakespeare, the next there would be a musical, the next there would be a new play, and the next there would be an Agatha Christie wow. uh, murder you know, mystery. And the great thing about that was that I grew up with uh, a really Catholic taste 
I saw a, a, a great range of work, yeah. and you know, by the time I even went to university, I was um, you know a really seasoned yeah. theatre goer, and I think that I had maybe not very consciously, but I certainly unconsciously had ingested quite a lot about form and about uh, what writing was uh, and about the many different kinds of theatre that there were. Right, I think at that point as well, I mean, the, the same still holds today, but I think in general, there there's quite a dominance of, of male reviewers or, or, or male critics. And in that point, I think, um, you know, what was it like as, as a woman going into this industry? Was it was a room for it? Did you feel pressure? from being maybe a minority of some sorts, you know, what was that what was that kind of environment like? Yeah, without doubt, when I first started writing professionally about theatre, there were very few women who were doing it. Um, I definitely wasn't first, but the most of uh, those people who were writing about theatre were men. Uh, they also very much came from particular backgrounds. Uh, many of them would have been privately educated and had been to Oxbridge. Uh, and I think that it was quite interesting when, in the 1980s, when I was st first starting to write about theatre professionally, that one of the things that we saw there was the uh, first wave of women playwrights. Uh, I'm not saying again that there wasn't Afra Ben before that, or indeed that Carol Churchill wasn't already writing merrily and absolutely superbly away, but suddenly there were a great many more women playwrights. And looking back now, I really do wonder whether those female playwrights at that time may have thrived if the critical environment actually had been more sympathetic to them. Yeah, I was actually thinking about it because I actually came across, um, I, I worked at the Victoria and Albert Museum's theatre archives for a few months when I was there, and I was actually um, digitizing the Monstrous Regiment archive. Okay. And uh, as, as luck would have it, while I was going through the press clippings, I, I saw, I think, a review of yours in City Limits. Oh, yes. So they kept it, um, I think, in the 1980s as well. And, and it was very interesting to see, you know, the work by Carol Churchill, by Barney Lavery, you know, the kind of work that people didn't have, like, a lot of male critics didn't have a taste for and really put it down um, in, in, in the reviews. It's, it was just, I think, interesting to see your work kind of coming up against that, that backdrop of writing. Um, I think you were one of the founding members of City Limits. Um, how, how did that come about? Uh, City Limits was a breakaway from, uh, from Time Out magazine where the entire staff went on strike over the idea that everybody should have parity of pay, whatever your role within the organisation was. And the then publisher Tony Elliott uh, really wasn't up for that. Uh, so uh, a group, uh, the vast majority of the staff of uh, Time Out uh, went away and set up their own magazine. I didn't write for Time Out because I was still at university, but when they set up City Limits, I went and joined them at that point. And uh, it was um, a cooperative, in fact at the time the largest cooperative in Europe, publishing cooperative in wow. Europe. It had a very big uh, staff, many people part-time, uh, but a staff of over 60. Uh, and it ran for 10 years, from 1981 through to 1991. Um, and I think that it very much 
changed the face of theatre reviewing in the UK. One, because it brought in a lot of people who did not come from those traditional kind right. of um, theatre reviewing backgrounds. And secondly, because uh, for a very long period, the um, theatre section there was run entirely by three women, of which I was one. Right. Uh, so therefore, you know, if you actually turn around and say that um, that a critical culture affects the cultural work that is produced and has an influence on it, uh, and if you also accept the premise that what it is that is valued in the culture are the things that are reviewed in the culture, so therefore actually part of the responsibilities of the critic are around the moment when you actually choose what it is you do or do not go to see, then I think that City Limits very definitely had an uh, influence on the development of some of those voices in the 1980s. Yeah, because yeah. it's kind of like a, 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 a you know, when, when something is critiqued or in, in public discourse, there's a value exactly right you know, assigned yeah. to what's important, what should be discussed, you know, what cultural yeah. trend, trend should we be looking at, um, and and it's really nice to have like that kind of diversity of so you don't just have like a mainstream sort of newspaper review, but also long form magazine reviews such as this to, yeah. to kind of give it an, a texture to that critical yeah. discourse, that critical culture. From City Limits, how did you start writing for The Guardian, which I think is what most people know you as here in, in yeah. Singapore? Uh, well, after City Limits finished, in fact, I was on maternity leave uh, when that happened, and uh, I freelanced for a while. Um, I wrote quite a lot of reviews for The Independent mm -hmm. uh, and a number of other publications, and then in 1993 I went to The Guardian, where I've actually been ever since. Yeah. Okay. And it's funny, interesting to to look at you know the ecology of, of critical writing in London today and the sort of hierarchies that, that are held um, at this point. You know, how how do you think that sort of scene in London is evolving with the rise of new bloggers, um, a lot more online platforms for writing. You yourself also write for uh, quite a lot for the stage, which is a very strong online presence. You know, how has that evolved in in your time as a crit critic over the past? I, I mean, it's changing enormously, and I think that can only be a good thing. I think there are all sorts of problems that the kind of shift in culture that have come about because of the internet have uh, thrown up, mostly, in fact, that uh, mean that the, the big boulders, the big media organisations that uh, were once dominant, including, of course, the Guardian, uh, Guardian uh, are facing, um, you know, some uncertainty about their future. But nonetheless, in terms of critical writing about theatre, um, I think that anything that broadens the conversation around theatre and keeps the conversation about theatre current and loud and uh, sometimes angry and um, often supportive is a really good thing. And one of the things that's happened with the rise of bloggers is that the people who write about theatre now is much more diverse within the UK. Uh, previously, who wrote about theatre were only the people who had one of those jobs on really a national newspaper or a, you know, or a, perhaps a periodical. Um, so that meant that probably that there were fewer than 20 people 
writing regularly about theatre in the UK, or at least were earning really their living doing so. Uh, And um, many of those people came from exactly the same background, both socially and educationally. And I think the other thing about it is that most of us have been doing it for an incredibly long time. There is a real thing in the UK that people, you know, get their aisle seat and they stay there until eventually they fall off it one day dead and get carted off. Suddenly Mm -hmm. there is this, you know, explosion of voices and of other people writing about theatre and writing about it in a different way. Uh, And I think that that's a really exciting thing. Yes, there are issues around it. There are issues sometimes that perhaps that there is too much noise and not enough that is worth hearing might be one of the views uh, that goes on. But also, uh, but, you know, the, the thing that does happen is that, that there is an entirely different discourse around theatre uh, than the kind of discourse that has been promoted in the past uh, by most critics and the people who yeah. have been writing about it. Um, and I think that can only be a useful thing to happen. Yeah, yeah, I think we're definitely seeing the same here as well. Um, one thing I'm curious about, you know, I think often critics are looked at uh, sort of as tastemakers and mm. sort of set the pace for, for you know, what sort of work to recommend to the public and, and, and almost sort of gatekeepers in a way, although that term can be disputed. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm curious for yourself personally, are there any shows or any artists whom you watched the first time around and, and, and critiqued, and then now perhaps regret knowing them in context and looking at the trajectory of their careers now as forms that you know maybe um, you misinterpreted or, or just regret in some way? <laughs> Listen, I don't regret things that I um, reviewed uh, 10 years ago. I regret that sometimes I read a review that I wrote yesterday and I go, oh my goodness, Lynn, how on earth did you write that? Or how did you think that in any way? I mean, I think that one of the things that it's really important to remember, actually, about critics, and I think it is completely paralysing and nobody would ever do the job if, in fact, uh, you worry too much about the fact whether or not you are getting it right or getting it wrong. Because the point is that you are not taking an exam. And the chances are that as often or maybe more often then you do end up getting it right and are on the right side of history, whether it's about Pinter or Sarah Kane, the reality is that you will often be on the wrong side of history as well. But I think that actually the only thing that you can do about that is, uh, you know, accept that that is the reality uh, and think very hard about what your role is and what it is that you're doing. And I think you do that in two ways. It's one that you uh, think about um, what you write as being uh, merely a response to what it is that you have seen and experienced. I think it is secondly that um, you um, place faith in the fact that people, whether they are artists or whether they are audiences, that they will read enough of the work that you produce in order to um, uh, uh, get to the point that uh, they would be the people who will decide whether or not 
how you write about theatre and what clearly excites and interests you are also the things that excite and interest them. So without doubt, I write reviews sometimes for The Guardian, and I write the review, and I hated the show, and immediately, lots of Guardian readers will get on the phone or get on the internet and book themselves tickets to see that show. And they are people who are using critics in exactly the right way, i.e. they know that if I hated it, they're going to love it. Yeah? And that's just brilliant. But there is just another point that I'd really like to make on that, which is, I think, the question around gatekeepers and about being gatekeepers. I think there is a tendency on the part of critics, and I think of all critics, to fall into this position of being gatekeepers, where effectively, um, you know, we are either measuring up every show that we see with this great big kind of notebook in our heads that we carry around of every other production of Hamlet that we've ever seen, or else that we go into the show with sort of some idea about how we would do it. But actually, nobody's really interested in you know, how John Gilbert played Hamlet in 1932, even if we were lucky enough to see it. Uh, and secondly, um, actually, we are not the director of the show or the maker of the show. So actually, it doesn't matter how we might do it. I think it is only the question that we respond to what it is that we see and that we do so, I think, and attempt to do so with a really conscious generosity, even if we are sometimes faced with things that we look at it with kind of, you know, a frown on our brow and go, what is this? You know, I've no idea really what this is that I'm seeing. Uh, and then try and grope towards finding some meaning about it and a vocabulary to write about it. And the reason that I think that that's important is that I think it changes our role from gatekeeper to that of midwife. And I think the role of midwife is a uh, really interesting and quite exciting one to fulfil. And the role of gatekeeper, in the end, I think, is self-defeating. Yeah. yeah, I think there was a big discussion in Singapore last year about how the critic is certainly not the dramaturg or the director of the show. And we're not going in to say, this is the show we wish we had seen. But in fact, as exactly as you said, we're responding to what the show is. And it was interesting also to work in the UK's theatre archive to realise how all these kind of critical responses put together really allowed you to get a sense of what the cultural feeling was at the time, yeah. how many different groups of people, you know, represented all across the different papers or different um, types of reviews responded to it. And then also interestingly when they go on tour, how those critics in other countries respond to to the show. And and it was a snapshot that I found so interesting and it was more valuable about, you know, setting the show in context and understanding yeah. what it was at that point. Yeah. So I think, you know, that that is really an important distinction exactly as you said, to, to, to make. Yeah, um, thank you so much for, for sharing um, your thoughts on this. It was wonderful to have you here. And um, we're looking forward to the panel that we're going to do on, on Sunday. <laughs> thank <laughs> you very much. Well, thank you so much, Lynn. Okay.